Last week we pursued meaning and purpose. Uh, if you guys hadn't been with us, uh, well, just one week because we're only one weekend, but we've, we started Solomon's Journal, considered one of the, the wisest kings of all time. And last week he talked about wanting to pursue purpose, trying to find the purpose in life, the meaning in life. And he gave us four or five different ways of pursuing purpose, but for the wrong reason and how it doesn't deliver. And I think it's safe to say that if we pursue purpose without God being the center of those things, we'll find out they don't deliver as well. Uh, you know, it was kind of depressing, really. He talked about the futileness, the, the vanity of it, the, the uselessness of it. Matter of fact, for a guy who experienced it all, you heard as, as Danny read, which I like this translation I was wording, it's some of those things about all the fame, all the money, all the power, all the sex, all the accomplishments, everything you could imagine. But he gets to the, to the end of his life, and he pulls out his, his journal, and he's writing these notes, and he's looking back, and he's realizing just how empty a lot of those experiences felt. And I think sometimes there's a lot of us that pursue so many things, whether it be meaning, purpose, or what we're going to look for to, today, searching for happiness. And because we're searching for it in the right things, we realize just how empty, how meaningless each of those experiences have been because we've been chasing them without the Lord. Some of us are empty in our marriages, empty in our, our jobs, empty in our careers, empty in what we would consider the, the goal of our lives because we pursue them on our own without the direction of the Lord. Last week he uses this word 38 times throughout the whole book. He says it's meaningless or, or, or vanity, and we use the, the Hebrew word hevel. Hevel, literally meaning a, a vapor, a mist, a smoke, which I like because I think what he's getting at in this figurative picture that he's trying to paint throughout this whole journal is, is it's, a, it's a brief, fleeting, unsatisfaction thing. Is it, you know, we, we, some people look at it and they're like, oh, he's saying life is, is, isn't real. No, life is real. Vapor, smoke, mist, it's real. But when you go to grab it, you just can't put a, a good hand on it. You can't put a good grip on it. And I think that's what he's, what he's trying to get at when he uses this Hebrew word to, to describe this, 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 this mist, this vapor. And he's saying it's, it's just as difficult to grab that as it is to grab life. You know, we, we looked at skydivers and they fall through the clouds and try to, try to grab the cloud or, or going through, you know. It, just so hard to, to grab, so confusing at times, so, so meaningless. And I'm going to be honest, guys, it, it, as long as you're trying to grab life with your hand, that's the result you're going to get. That's the, that's the picture you're going to get. So, so Solomon, he goes through all these things, and he describes them in this journal. You've got to love the honesty of this guy. He doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't blame nobody else. He says, I had all the ability in the world to try this stuff out, so I chose to. I decided to do a science experiment. I made a, a hypothesis. And my hypothesis said, I'll be able to get happy if I try one of our first experiments for today. And then he, he gives a conclusion, how empty it all feels, how vain it all feels, how, how worthless it all feels. So here's what I want you to think on this morning before we jump into a lot of these verses and, and ideas that, that Solomon has going. What is it that you've looked for happiness and satisfaction in? What place? Maybe not a place, what person? What person did you think was going to provide all your happiness, all your satisfaction? See, the reality is this, and I'll just use marriage as one because it's easy. 
if you put that much weight on your spouse, that they're to be the one to provide all your happiness, all your satisfaction, your marriage is doomed to fail. Because that person wasn't meant to carry that much weight. That person wasn't meant to provide that much. Because that comes from the Lord. We're going to get into a a few chapters from now, maybe even two weeks, I don't know, when we get to chapter 4, and he's going to make that point of talking about the the, the cord. He's going to say, yeah, there's, there's two strands, and it's strong, but that third strand... That third strand is where it's at. I don't, I don't want to get there yet, but I'm just, I'm just trying to point out if you're, if you're putting that much weight and that much uh, pressure on somebody, it's doomed to fail. Maybe, maybe it's not a person. Maybe it's a place. If I could just get to this new location, if I could just get to the beach. A beach is a great place, but eventually storms come to the beach as well. You know what I'm saying? Like if I could just get this new job on something, searching for happiness, hoping that it'll be that, that, that thing that just does it for you, yet you end up feeling empty and disappointed. Extracurricular activities. He called me after trying it one time, and he says, he says, man, that sucked. I said, oh, the, the hangover that bad, the headache that bad, the sickness that bad. He goes, no, evidently there's a condition for some people where they can't get high no matter how much they smoke. And I was like, this guy is disappointed because he couldn't get what he thought he was going to get from it. You know, like, how many times have we tried this in life? How many times have we, we bought the newest car, we bought the biggest motor, we bought the, we bought the, the nicest clothes, we bought the best jewelry, we bought the, the best medicine, we bought all this stuff, hoping for this stuff to do it and bring forth great happiness, and we leave disappointed. Right? Solomon writes, and, and you could call it this, I put the search for happiness, in, in my notes I've written down the hunt for happiness. He's hunting for happiness. He's trying to, to, to find this thing, and, and really as he writes through this chapter, we know by the end of the book, because a lot of you told me you've already got to the end because you were so depressed by reading the first part. This side, of, this side of the sun, he calls it repeatedly through the thing, and then he says it's, it was just like chasing when it's, it's a wild goose chase, except for you never, cha- you never catch the goose. That's, that's what he concludes. So he gets to this chapter, this hunt. I'm going to sum it up into, into three types of hunt. He has a pleasure hunt, a measure hunt, and then a treasure hunt. So let me tell you, that's what he's looking for. He, he's looking for pleasure, measure, and treasure. And all of them end up empty without God as the, the main thing. Now, I will tell you this. Because at the end of the book, I like to have an optimistic viewpoint. I think Solomon does fine. Sometimes bad experiences are what we need to learn tough lessons of life. I tell people all the time, it's wise to learn from your mistakes, but it is even wiser to learn from somebody else's. So if we can study this area of Solomon's life and we can check out things he did and we can learn from it so that we don't have to pursue some of the same stuff he pursued with the same intensity that he pursues it with, then I think it would be a great few months together. So I don't think the basic human needs have changed. I don't think our pursuits have changed. You know, I I don't think what we, we think makes us happy has changed. I don't think the quest has changed, yet a lot of those things only bring forth temporary happiness. And that's what Solomon gets at. So so maybe that's the difference. Maybe that's some of the questions we should ask. Not not what only have you pursued that didn't deliver, but what have you pursued that only brought forth temporary happiness? That faded away. That that, that ceased to exist after maybe a week or a two. And if it's not a lasting happiness, I'd say it's probably not done in the way of the Lord. We're looking for lasting happiness. and, And here's what... Mark Twain says, everybody can serve as an example, even if it's a a bad example. 
So Solomon at this point is still giving us bad examples that we can make sure to, to pursue. But what Solomon does is the same thing we do. We try to achieve external satisfaction and happiness and purpose by reorganizing all the external things in our life. You know, who, who am I? What do I do? What have I accomplished? How successful have I been? When in reality, the real purpose and the meaning of happiness comes from reorganizing our internal. Who's God? What, what meaning and what purpose does God have on my life? And it's like Solomon says, I want to go to the last couple of verses of it and then go back to the beginning. But look back at 24 through 26 that Danny just read. Look at the end to get to the beginning. He says, there's nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I've seen that even this from God's hand, because who can eat? He gives a task of gathering and accumulating in order to give to the one who is pleasing in God's sight. This, too, is futile and a pursuit of the wind. All these things that we're going to talk about in this chapter, Solomon's been experimenting on, that he, that he had a hypothesis that would, would reach happiness, his hunt for happiness. He realizes it's like chasing the wind. It's like grabbing the smoke, the vapor, the mist, the heifer. So the hunt for happiness. Here's the first thing, experiment number one, the pleasure hunt. Can I be happy having fun? Here's the question, because I don't, I don't ever want any of us to leave church. I'm going to ask this on each of these. Well, I'm asked this on two of these things. The, the other one's a little iffy. Is there anything wrong with having fun? No. We've created a society sometimes in the religious world where, like, we're all against fun. Oh, you can't have fun. You can't can't do that. You don't smile. Don't don't look like you're having a good time. That would that would be scary, you know. And, and I think that's pushed people further away from eternal true happiness. So he says, "Can I can I can I be happy? Can I find happiness by having?" fun he's going to pursue some good things he's going to pursue some some legitimate things and i want to point that out because solomon's not just pursuing a bunch of bad stuff he pursues some good stuff that doesn't deliver you can pursue good stuff that doesn't deliver so the first one he says in, in this test verse one he says I, I thought in my heart come now i'm gonna i'm gonna test it with pleasure now what's he testing what's he testing I think he's testing life. He's looking at life and he's saying, life, I'm going to test you. I'm going to test you and find out what you can really deliver on. I'm going to figure out if pleasure is really what is good and if it proves to be so. But except for this verse says this, but that also proved to be meaningless. He tells us the result right at the very beginning of the experiment. He's like a modern celebrity. He's going from party to party, from entertainment to entertainment, doing all that he can, checking out all that he can, and it's still just not working for him. What is it that you've said, if you do this, happiness will be what follows, but that this hasn't delivered? Check yourself and ask yourself, are you doing this, this pleasure hunt? Here's what pleasure hunt can be defined as. The pleasure hunt is an attempt to find happiness and satisfaction in physical or sensual gratification. Now ask yourself, what is, don't answer out loud, what, what, what pleasure hunt have I been on? Who have I put this much weight on? The reality is this, sometimes having too much fun prevents us from getting the important things done. Fun in the right context. Pleasure in the right context. All these things that he does in the right context, 
may produce great results. Look at the first one he says. He says, the first one I'm going to test, the first pleasure test is laughter. Verse 2, he said, laughter, I said. Laughter? Is so I'll ask you again, right? Is laughter bad? This guy, remember now, he's got the ability, he's got the funds, he's got the power. He can do anything he wants. I picture when he says, I tested laughter, he's sitting on his throne in the palace, and he's called every comedian there is to come to the palace and make him laugh. I mean the best of the best. He's called them all. He's got Will, Will Smith there. He's got Will Ferrell there. He's got Chris Rock there. Chris Rock got slapped there. I mean, uh, you know, he's got everything going on at the palace, and he's laughing. He's having a good time. He's enjoying it. And then something, something hits him. Where it's like this, eventually the laugh goes away. Eventually the, the joke isn't, isn't as funny. Exact joke. You laugh and hope you're fake smiling as best you can so that they still think it's just as funny. That, that's, where, that's where Solomon's at. I like to laugh. I like to have fun. I, th I, think, that's a, I think it's a good thing. I was just thinking like, like this morning, like how many times I laughed this weekend and how important I think that is. I think, I think laughter can be good. We sat by the fire last night, and, and we, were, we were cooking hot dogs and, and s'mores, and uh, I, I laughed, though. I laughed the first time because my wife rounds the corner. She hates the cold. So she, we're going to sit six inches from a fire. I mean, I've got it built up. I've got, I, you know, I, I raised it up because the one in the ground wasn't working good enough. So, so I got it raised up. I got all the wood in it. Everything, everything's right. I scooted all the chairs around this little circle. I've got it set up because I like a fire. I sit outside in the cold all night long, wouldn't bother me, like just, just staring. The owner says, all right, I'm ready to go have fun by the fire. And we walk out there, and, and so that, that in itself had me laughing on the inside, right? We, we, we get out there, and, and we're cooking, and I, I don't, here's the funny part. I don't even remember what I said when I was trying to get the kids to pass me the, the hot dog to, to cook on the, the skewer, and I said something that made no sense whatsoever, and I just laughed, and she laughed, and the kids laughed, and then they laughed, and I realized they were laughing at me and not with me. Um, but, but here's the thing. I don't even remember what it was, but I'm still, like, thinking about laughing. That's how futile laughter is. Like, it's good, but it doesn't last because I don't even remember what it was. Or I'm in the middle of a wrestling tournament yesterday cheering my boy on who's only been wrestling for two months but gets fifth in the lower state. Who rod that? You can clap for that, right? Like, like that was cool, and I was excited, and, and I'm in my man mode, and I get a text just randomly. It says, hey, what do you recommend for a 10-year anniversary? So I'm like, man, they know my heart. Like, as tough as I want to be at a wrestling match, I, I got a little romantic side of me, right? So I'm like, hey. If you got the money, you need to go to Grill 225 downtown. When you get down there, you need to walk right on the waterfront, right by the sunset, because it's, it's just a beautiful scenery. It's awesome. It's nice. You can hold hands. You can sit on the swings. You can, I mean, I got it. I'm playing it up, man. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm in wrestling mode, but, like, at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a romantic, side, romantic side is coming out, right? And, and then I'm like, well, if you ain't got those, those kind of travel times and Nexton has, you know, halls now, and Oscars in Somerville is nice. And I'm thinking all this stuff, and they send back, I've been married a lot longer than 10 years. I meant for the church anniversary. <laughs> Touche, Sister Heather. I mean, sorry, not supposed to call people out of church. But, yeah, and I, I just laughed. I started laughing. I'm like, here I am thinking, like, they wanted some advice. <laughs> 
from me if I want to do on a date. And all they were asking is what we're doing for the church. So I was like, I don't know right now. I'm at a wrestling tournament. So that's where y'all rank compared to me getting to prepare an evening for my wife. <laughs> but I lie. Is laughter bad? No. No. One more. One more thing just to, just to prove it. Look beside you. Is that not a funny looking person? God created laughter. Right? A guy I use a, a, a lot, not that he's 100% great, but a guy I use a lot, Charles Spurgeon, he was criticized for trying to put laughter into sermons. And he writes this at the end of his life. He says, if you'd only known how many times I held back. I was like, dang, he got in trouble for it. So if you only knew how many times I held back. Look at Proverbs chapter 17, 22. Because I don't want us to leave here thinking the stuff Solomon pursued was bad. It's only bad in the, in the wrong context. Proverbs 17, verse 22, it says, by the way, Proverbs, because somebody was calling me on like how, how Solomon wrote Proverbs and Solomon wrote this, this letter here, and it's like, man, they, it's called Proverbs, not promises. Y'all understand the difference? Proverbs is this is the way it should be if you do this. Right? This makes sense. It, it's not a promise. It's not like a, this is written in stone. It's called Proverbs. All right? So that's, that's a free lesson for whoever needed to hear it. Proverbs 17, 22, he writes and he says, a cheerful heart is good medicine. There's nothing wrong with laughter. It's good. They're, they're, they've literally proven through, through things. They, the Cancer Association actually uses laughter now. They've proven that a hormone is released when you laugh. They've proven that blood vessels uh, uh, are, are increased and circulation of the, of the oxygen that goes through your blood is increased. 40% immune system booster when you laugh. Some of y'all would be healed just by laughing. I'm dead serious. Some of y'all, y'all's problems would go away if you would just take time to laugh. Just sit there and, and find something funny to look at and laugh. I'm serious. Brian, you need to laugh more, Cliff says, all right? I, I, I believe some of our depression would go away if we would laugh. Just enjoying things, laughter. But Solomon's problem here, and here it gets back to the, the main part of the, 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 the journal, he thought that laughter would cure everything. And life would be great. Everything, but everything in life's not a laughing matter. And, and as good as that beginning was in the vital lesson there, here, here's the reality that kind of hurts, guys. Laughter sometimes just masks the pain. You guys ever sat back and looked, this is heartbreaking. You ever sat back and looked at how many of our comedians deal with depression? Like, I know it's there, but one that hit home for me, you know, I say recently, that shows how old I'm getting. One that hit home for me, though, was Robin Williams. I thought, I grew up watching all his movies. I was like, this guy, he's just enjoying life. There's other comedians that have talked about having to get on and off medicine because of their depression. And the suicidal thoughts that come because they're trying to laugh and put on a mask. So while he says the pursuit of this doesn't answer it, I also want to make sure, like, don't pursue it so much where you mask the pain. Reach out. Find somebody to help you, right? Because laughter, his first test, it doesn't work. His first test at pleasure, laughter. He says, laughter, verse 2, laughter, I said, is foolish. What does pleasure actually accomplish? He's saying, like, it didn't work. I tried it. Next thing he says is alcohol. Look at verse, verse 3. He said, I tried cheering myself up with wine. I tried embracing folly. You know why you say cheers when you, when you hit glasses with somebody? 
because you're hoping it just brings some sheer joy, right? He says, my mind's still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. He's already understanding how, how futile and how, how simple, how, how small life actually is. And he brings this connection, hoping that by drinking, happiness would have come. And I'm not using this verse to give you the merits or the demerits of alcohol. That's not the point. The point Solomon's getting here at, whether you do or don't, he's saying that if you think wine could cheer you up, then when it wears off, that depressing emptiness is going to be sad for you. He thought that he could be happier and just drown out his sorrows, at least take the edge off. And this, this guy, again, not only could he call all the comedians to the palace, he could get the best stuff. This guy wasn't buying no barefoot from Walmart. You know what I'm saying? This guy was buying the good stuff. He done went down to the Bill's Liquor Store or whatever it used to be. I don't even think that's the name of it anymore. But like he done went down to the good stuff and went to the, to the good aisle. He's like, I want the best of the best. I want that stuff Jesus made at the wedding. Pastor, that's Old Testament. Jesus existed in and out of time. I don't want to hear it, right? But, but, but my, my, my point is this. He wasn't just trying some cheap stuff. He was trying good stuff. And here's what, what he realized. Maybe, maybe some of you had already realized this. The minute you sober up, those sorrows, those problems, those pains that you, you thought you drowned it out, they're still right there waiting on you. They didn't go nowhere. You masked them for just a little while, and then, boom, they were still right there as soon as your little high went away, right? Sometimes even worse because you didn't deal with them the right way at that moment because you thought juicing yourself up with some liquid courage would be the right way to do it. So Solomon says alcohol didn't fix anything. Now, if you think alcohol is your, 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 your treatment, he says you're going to be in an unfulfilled life because everything you were trying to treat is going to be the exact same way when sober hits and reality hits. Alcohol is not the answer to these things. He says, I didn't do it for him. He didn't pass the test. This third test comes all the way down to uh, verse 10 before you, you see his seek for pleasure here. Sex. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10, he says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Can you imagine? Please don't, actually. Sorry. Don't imagine at all all the things this guy probably tried. Look at him. He says, I refuse my heart no pleasure. Solomon, in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 3, it says, he had 700 wives of royal birth and then 300 concubines. It points out the difference. 700 of royal, 700 princesses, 700 of the best, and they still weren't enough for his appetite. So he gets 300 concubines. Now, listen, I, I give you the same thing. I don't shy away at it all. I, I've even shared this with my boys on our front porch talk, right? Like, like not to shy away at all. Not, I don't want you to leave with the wrong idea. You're going to tell me the creator of my body, right? The creator of my body happened to just put the right nerve endings in the right places for it to do what it does, and that was an accident? Oh, I'll get your attention. I promise. My wife's already shrinking down in the sound room, but I will make sure. I, I, you think I'm playing. I'm not playing at all. I will make sure you understand it was not meant to be an evil thing. 
We've turned it evil. We've made it evil. We've made it nasty. But it wasn't. And I, I think sometimes our problem sometimes is trying to make something that God created to be good, bad. Okay? He says, I, I tried. And, and the problem is this. The problem is we believe the lies of the world, whether, whether the good side or the bad side of it. We, we try to go into what culture thinks about stuff. And we try to experience happiness and fulfillment from this stuff. And as long as you're doing anything the way the world tells you to pursue it, you're going to be disappointed. Right? Sex inside of marriage is a gift. Y'all brought, y'all brought, I brought forth a lot of great wedding gifts when I got married. I made some good ones. I give you examples, but I don't even remember them. Right? That's how good they were. God gave me my best wedding gift. And ain't none of y'all got to even know about it till now. Now that my wife has shrunk down in the sound system as far as possible, we can keep going. Actually, let me, let me go back on this for real. Not, not there, not there, no, no, no. Here, here's a lesson you need to understand. I, I look back at this guy with a thousand. And I think, how many people have been pursuing people thinking it's going to bring forth happiness? You can get you a thousand women, ten thousand different experiences, and until you're right yourself, you ain't never going to be right with nobody else. You understand that? You adding something to the thing, it, it, it's, it, think about the woman at the well. Here's, here's a real good example. You go to John chapter 4 in the New Testament. Jesus goes to this well. He's sitting there with this, this woman from Samaria who, who's getting ready to offer him like this, this cold drink of water. And he realizes her search for fulfillment. Because what does he tell her? He asks her about what? How's your husband? What, what, somebody, say, did y'all, somebody else say sex just now loud? Yeah, Sheila! Y'all give Sheila a round of applause! I, y'all better give her a round of applause or I'll go deeper in my other stuff. But that's what she's really pursuing. She's not pursuing a husband. Because what does Jesus tell her? He says, how's your husband? She goes, oh, I'm not married. He says, you're right. You done been married five times, and the one you're with right now still ain't your husband. She thinks jumping from relationship to relationship, from experience to experience, from pleasure to pleasure, from sexual experience to sexual experience, was going to do it for her. She doesn't even know she's sitting down with the one that could really do it for her. Right? And it's at that moment that, that Jesus is looking at her. He's saying, look, you're, you're chasing fulfillment in all the wrong stuff. And there's too many of us in today's world, we're chasing fulfillment in all the wrong stuff. Right? It's not what makes others happy, it's what makes me happy. That's Solomon's idea. He didn't have a thousand wives hoping to make a thousand people happy. No. You ever thought about that? He could sleep with a different woman every night for three years and not have to, not have to deal with the same woman again. That's a long honeydew list, by the way. We're going to get to that honeydew list here in just a second on one of his other hunts, right? But think about it. Solomon is all about me in this pursuit. What's going to make me happy? What's going to satisfy me? Is it going to be the drink? Is it going to be the the sexual experience? Is it it going to be this? Is it going to be that? What is it? What pleasure? What pleasure? What laughter? What good thing that God created can I corrupt enough to put too much weight on it? See, that's our problem. We put... We put the wrong weight on stuff that God created to carry a different weight. And he says it didn't work. So that's his pleasure hunt. Go to verses 4 through 7. Now you get the measure hunt. You can define it this way. The measure hunt is described, and ask yourself if you do this, or what do you do it with? The attempt to find happiness and satisfaction in terms of accomplishment or success. What are you measuring in your life 
that you think ought to be bringing forth lasting joy and happiness. For some of us, it's a house. For some of us, it's a job. For, for some of us, it's, it's a position. For some of us, it's a title. His experiment number two, he says, can, can, I, can I be happy by working hard? Again, look again, word of caution. The Bible is not discouraging hard work and success. That, that's not, the Bible actually champions hard work. It says that God makes people successful for his glory. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, it says, But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. You think God's against hard work? No. But in context, what Solomon's talking about is what a lot of people do. We try to find fulfillment, purpose, identity, happiness, and what we do rather than what God's already did. And he says in this pursuit, Getting this identity, this, this meaning, this purpose. And, and here, here's how he sums it up in verse 11. Just to give us the ending before looking at each one. He said, when I considered all that I had accomplished. You realize this guy accomplished so much. Kings and queens from all over the world came to check it out. This guy accomplished way more than we could. I don't even think we could fill the book with how much he actually accomplished. I mean, check out history and just look at all that this kingdom had during, during his reign. When I considered all that I accomplished, what I had labored to achieve, he actually worked for this. He, he, he put forth effort. I found it all to be futile, pebble. I found it all to be like a vapor, mist, of smoke. I found it like pursuing the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Because he pursued his desires and not the Lord's desires. Solomon explained, like, even in these, these legitimate searches, and maybe this, maybe that honey-do list, maybe they feed off each other, is what allowed him to do what he's going to list right here. Look, look at what he lists in these verses. Talking about working in different ways and in this long honey-do list, his work projects. Here's what he says in number one. He says, I increased my achievement. I built houses. Y'all remember the first time you got your own house? What, what was? Somebody give me a good story. What was your first house? And if you're rich, we don't want to hear from you. Give me some poor people. 77 single watt, that is crappy. Right? Who can get more crappy than that? Oh, hold on, hold on. What you got? 68. Now, was it a double wide or a single wide? You sure you thought about it? 68, they didn't make double wide, so it had to be single. Right, yeah. That's crappy. What you got, brother? You lived in a trailer? Everybody for Joe say, oh. But you were proud of it, right? Were you proud of it? Were you proud of it? Man, I, <laughs> I remember, I think God did it on purpose. Like the house we were going to move into after we got married, it wasn't ready. So we had to live in this apartment. There's a lot of nice apartments around Somerville, right? We lived in the apartment. Like, not the nice weathers. Weathers had, had a couple of them at the time. We lived at the one that was at the back of the ghetto. Like, where they, they dealt drugs at the front. Like, we didn't have a washing machine and dryer in the house. You had to, like, go to the front of the neighborhood and hope you didn't get shot. I don't even know if we ever used them. I think we went to our parents' house. <laughs> like, you know, like, like, it was rough. It was upstairs. But it was cool. You want to know why it was cool? Because it was mine. It was mine. It's wonderful. First memories of being married were there. 
We did Bible studies there because I had to move in a month early in order to get the lease, right? So, so, so Bible Sunday school group would, would meet there, you know, because I was living there by myself, and it was boring. <laughs> but it was mine. This guy, he, he didn't just build one house. He built houses. He built multiple ones. He built great ones. I bet his wasn't no travel trailer. I bet it wasn't no 60 or 70-something single wide. I bet he built mansions. You want to know why I know he built mansions? Because he had to build a coliseum to hold his horses and chariots. Y'all remember that last week? Hold his sports cars? He had to build a coliseum to hold all his sports cars, right? So, so that tells me, like, if he built that for his toys, how awesome was his house? He had a thousand wives. I got a another. I got a lot of bad friends. Y'all don't hold that against them or me, right? He he's got in his language, he's got what they call a lot of baby mamas. Every baby mama got a house, though. Now he had a life before his current life. <laughs> That's how they all got their own houses. But but <laughs> but but in that pursuit, I'm like, man, <laughs> what could you have? <laughs> If you didn't have to buy this one a house and that one a house and this one a car and that one a car, I get confused. He'll call asking for, for a tire for a car, and I'm like, which car? And he's like, oh, so-and-so, she's baby mama number one. I'm like, man, you got to just stop, bro. That ain't, it ain't working that way, right? But, but all that, that would have been Solomon with a thousand wives, right? He had to, how many mother-in-law suites did he had to build? Golly, you ever thought about that? I was sitting there thinking about the joys that could come from, no, the curse that would come. He built a lot of houses, and he's still not happy with them. It wasn't lasting happiness. He says, was it temporary? Sure. Was it grateful to walk? Sure. So then he goes on, verses, the rest of verse 4 and into verse 5. He says, I planted vineyards for myself. I Listen to all the eyes. I increased my achievements. I built houses. I made gardens. I made parks. I planted every kind of fruit. I, I, I. He's going to get in a minute where he says, I constructed reservoirs of water. There's a whole lot of I's going on, a whole lot of me's going on. When the I and the me is the main thing and God's not, you can guarantee your pursuit for happiness is going to be futile, vain, and go like a mist and vapor. Solomon planted vineyards, parks, gardens. He planted trees. What, what a great accomplishment. Planted so much so that the third thing he said, when he talks about in verse 6, he says, I constructed a reservoirs of water. He had to make reservoirs of water to irrigate all the stuff he had built. When you've built so much stuff, you've got to build something else in order to produce for something else. Like you're on a roll. I believe, I don't know for sure, but I believe the, the, the book of Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 14. It's, I went to the garden gate in the king's pool. I think this was one of his water structures. Because it talks about other water structures that Solomon built. Like this guy had it going on. And yet with all that was going on, what did verse 11 say? When I considered all that I had accomplished, all that I had labored to achieve, I found it all to be like pebble. I found it all to be like a vit, like a mist, like a vapor, like, like smoke, like, like something I thought I'd be able to grab and, and it just, it went away. Can you imagine sitting in whatever big fancy house you built and not being happy, being miserable? Could, could you imagine sitting in your, your, your garden that you made that's supposed to bring forth great peace? I don't know about, I don't know about you guys, but you, you sit outside sometimes and it produces like this peace about you, right? Like, yeah, I'm in nature. I mean, 
I'm in the creation of where, where the Lord had made and what he had done. And this guy sat there and, and he realized how miserable his life was, how futile his life was. He talks about all his, his property and his wealth that he tried to, tried to accomplish and get going. Verse 7, it says, I acquired male and female servants. I had slaves who were born in my house. I had owned herds of cattle, herds of flocks, more than anyone before me in Jerusalem. Man, he's got a great resume going, right? But then he says, if building, improving, amusing, and amassing great riches could accomplish it, it didn't work. Guys, understand this. This isn't some, this isn't some poor guy. This is a guy who could literally get anything he wanted. If, if there could be happiness in stuff, this preacher, this writer, this, this person would have got it. But every time he pursues it, every time he tries it, it fails. Which then leads to this other hunt, the treasure hunt. So we've looked for pleasure, we've now looked for measure, now we're going on for, for treasure. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, the treasure hunt, here's your, here's your definition to check yourself. Do you attempt to find happiness and satisfaction in material possessions? In stuff, right? Treasures. Verse 8, talking about his prophets, look at what he says. I, here's that I again, I amass silver and gold for myself and the treasure of the kings in the province. He's saying like, I increase the kingdom's treasury. We had rooms full of gold and silver, like just, just tons of it. I gathered male and female singers for myself. This guy could have a concert at the palace every night, right? We get excited when we get a ticket to go see somebody. This guy's like, Psh, I'll bring that person over right now. One phone call, doom, done. I'll shoot him a text. He'll be here in a minute. Many concubines and other delights of men. Verse 9 finishes, he became so great, look at popularity, so great surpassed all those that were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. Oh, wisdom remained with me. So that's how he's able to figure out later in chapter 5, verse 10. Check this out. A couple weeks from now, spill the beans on it. The one who loves silver is never satisfied with silver. The one who loves wealth is never satisfied with income because those two are futile. They're vain. They're vapor. If that's what you're pursuing, it's going to fail you. Here's the lesson. The problem is when money has us, not when we have money. Let me hear it again. The problem is when money has us, not when we have money. Money makes a wonderful servant, but it's a terrible master. It's an evil master. And Solomon realized that all the money in the world still couldn't buy him happiness. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 27. This, this is crazy right here, man. Solomon flooded the, the world with silver. It says in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 27, it said that Solomon made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Silver as common as stones. This guy just kept accumulating and accumulating and accumulating and accumulating, and it still never worked for him. Chasing one thing after another. You realize if you're chasing something, you're probably losing something else? Ooh, that's good. I need to write that down right now, even if it don't apply for this section. Chasing something, you're going to lose something else. That'll work in your marriage. That'll work in your career. That'll work in your relationship with the Lord. That'll work in every area. Chasing something, you're going to lose something. Look, look, look at in today's, I just jotted these names down. You guys can Google lottery winners. Google them. 
I, I found one. At, I got sick of looking because it was so depressing. These guys all die. They they lose their kids. They I mean, it's the most depressing. Check out Jack Whitaker, Abraham Shakespeare, Donna Milk, a bunch of them. I just Googled and started checking out like miserable. Miserable outcomes after winning the lottery. Just proven that money, money ain't going to do it. Let's look at another some statistics from our own culture, right? In the last 50 years, the average house in America has tripled in size. Tripled. I think back, we called it the love shack, right? Now, we've only been together almost 20 years. It, was, it had one little small bedroom that we put everything we owned in, and then it had another bedroom that we had a bed in. 2,400 square foot, four, four bedrooms, two bathrooms, two living rooms. It's tripled in size. Yet... Check this last part out, right? Yet Americans have more of their possessions in storage units than any other country in the world. Let me give you another one on storage units. Here you go. There's enough square footage in storage buildings in America, the ones that have roofing and clothes. Now, not, I ain't counting the outside fields where people are parking boats and RVs, right? Just storage units with a roof. You laugh. Get ready. Enough storage room just in American storage units for every man, woman, and child in the world to stand and still be under a roof. We're chasing stuff and missing out on what really matters. There's more shopping malls in America than high schools. Google that one. It's true. I didn't believe it when I found it. American children, here you go. American children make up 3.1% of the population in the world of children. Children in the world, 3.1%. Yet they own more than 40% of the toys in the world. Huh? Do you hear that? They make up 3.1%, yet they own more than 40% of the toys in the world. Americans, here you go, Americans discard, throw away, an average of 65 pounds of clothes annually. 65 pounds of clothes. We just throw it away every year because we got so much. We spend more money on shoes, jewelry, and watches than all the college education experiences put together. Yeah. And after having some depth in Carolina Law School, that really blew my mind. <laughs> right? Wow. Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Then he told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not the abundance of his possessions. He told them then, I'm repeating it for us now. Watch out, be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not the abundance of his possessions. We need to stop chasing stuff. We need to stop putting so much weight on stuff, thinking it's going to make us happy, thinking it's going to solve this. I hear dads all the time, oh, I got an extra job, and I'm working extra hours, and I'm putting in all this overtime so that we can buy, so that I can pay for it, so that I can get little Johnny this, because Christmas is around the corner. I think they'd rather have time with you than the junk they're going to throw away next year. How much of it's going to be thrown away? 65 pounds is just for clothes. I don't even count the rest. Solomon was leaving his market influence on everybody. All these areas that he's working at, that he's, he's putting so much time into, he's happy enough. They asked, oh, I didn't forget his name, but they asked him, when is enough money, enough money? I remember his answer. He said, when I get just a little bit more. 
When is enough stuff enough stuff? When I, when I get just a little bit more. And I'm guilty of it. Maybe not on the same level as some stuff, but, but man, you know how exciting it was to have Jeremiah move down here and us figure out we could lift a two-wheel drive even more? Man, for his first six months, it was, what can I do to get one more inch? I know you've now drilled holes into the frame of the vehicle, which you shouldn't do, but, but what can we do to do just a little bit more? What, what can we do to stretch it? F-250 springs on F-150 sounds good. Let's do it. What can we do to get just a little bit more? Because we're always wanting what? Just a little bit, just a little bit more. Brandon Gawk got the Chevelle SS out there. How much horsepower would be enough? Just, just a little bit more. And there ain't nothing wrong with pursuing a lift in horsepower. But don't you dare think, no matter how much lift you get or how low you go or how much horsepower you get or how big your house is, that it'll be lasting happiness. Because it'll fade and it'll just be normal. Solomon considered, look at what he, straight, look at what he says, verse 10. <laughs> this was my reward, struggle. Struggle is what he says, verse 10. You're not happy with what, what, what it got you? Look at what it got him. What does he say? He says, this, this stuff got me, it got me struggle. It, it got me struggle. When I considered all that I accomplished and all that I labored to achieve, I found everything to be, be useless. There was nothing to be gained under the, under the sun. It was my reward for all this, verse 10. This was my reward, all my, all my, all my struggle. The only thing that lasted was his, his struggle. It, it was funny this morning, Paxson comes down the hallway. <laughs> Boy rough his butt off yesterday, man. I'm talking like, I'll be honest, I told him this, and I told my boys, uh, my guys on my, that the shop in my text, because he thought I was just blowing smoke up his butt after he lost. I, I was being serious. Now, I was more proud this week than I was last week when you got your medal, because this week you went the distance, right? He comes down the hallway this morning, he goes, Dad, I'm hurting everywhere. My back hurts, my neck hurts, my, my abs hurt. He goes, if you touch my chest right here, it hurt. Like, I'm, I'm just hurting everywhere. That was this week after getting his butt cut, right? Now, last week, he's got this medal. Got him a bronze medal, man. It felt good. I didn't see that Sunday morning. He didn't come down the hallway Sunday morning last last week and say, Dad, look at this medal I still got. What he remembered from this week was the struggle, the pain. And that's Solomon. Solomon's saying there's a good lesson to be learned in the struggle. Here's what he goes on to. Let me let me get let me get us to the rest of this chapter, 12 through 26. It's the same theme, so don't, don't everybody have a heart attack thinking we're going to go verse by verse. You'll be all right. He, say, he says, pursuing happiness through wealth is pointless. Can, can I be happy by accumulating? What about wisdom and influence? Remember, this is all about happiness. Purpose was last week. Now it's happiness. And he answers, <laughs> I can't make myself any happier by personal pursuit. He says, there's a lesson to learn. L- look at this lesson. Look at, look at how... Man, this is one depressing journal. Look, look at 12 through 17, how he wraps up this, this lesson to learn. He says, death makes equal the wise and the fool. No matter how wise somebody is or isn't, no matter how much they accomplish or don't, no matter how much pleasure they have or don't have, the same event happens to them all. They all die. Verse 15. As it happens to the fool, it also happens to me. Hold on now. He's now comparing almighty me, I, 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 is now going to get the same result 
as the nobody. If death ends it all, look at what look at what he's getting at here, and this is this is so sad. This this is how a lot of people die, guys. Like like literally, this, these are some last thoughts people have who don't know Jesus. If death ends it all, then this life has truly robbed me of all meaning. You imagine laying on your deathbed and thinking this is it. I remember one of the first people I introduced to Jesus, one of my first meetings with him. He, he was big old car fab, so that's how we got in each other. He had the, the old wannabe lightning that we created. He cut the springs with torches and lowered it to the ground for me and, and all kind of cool discounts and all. And, and it wasn't long after that he got diagnosed with a, with a cancer in the throat. Never smoked, never dipped, nothing. But he gets this cancer. And, and it opens the door for some opportunity, for some conversation. And I remember one night after he realized, like, the treatments weren't working and all this stuff, and he started, his body literally started to, to dwindle down. And, and, and I remember sitting there one night, and he, and he, and he says, he goes, this, this is it. He's looking at his shelf. His living room was here, and he had a, had a TV here and a, and a bookshelf here at, at their house right there. And suddenly he's looking at his shelf full of all kind of trophies. I mean, dude had won, like, where you get the car to bounce and that kind of thing. He had won sound contests. I mean, just won all kind of cool stuff. And he's looking at looking at a case of trophies. Like this, this is it. And then I realized, like this guy's like Solomon. Like he's been pursuing happiness. He's been hoping for happiness. Had a good marriage, great marriage. But it didn't give him lasting happiness for what was coming next. More than ever, I'm grateful to tell you that about a month or two before he dies, he realizes who Jesus is. So the story's got a happy ending for him. But but I'm just thinking about this this guy. And what, what if two months before death, he didn't have that moment? How many people make it to the end, and, and they're sitting there at the end, they're thinking, this, this is really it? This is all I've been living for? This is all I've been going on and on for? Verse 17 says, therefore, man, listen to this outcome. You didn't think it could get any sadder after last week, right? Verse 17, he says, therefore, I hated life. There's some people in this room statistically, I'm just going to say it like it is, right? Statistically, there's people in this room right now that hate life. They hate it. You hate it because you're pursuing it wrong. Little stuff becomes big deal to you. Big stuff doesn't even matter to you. You get a lot of joy and a lot of happiness, and then it crashes fast. You hate life. Why? Because you're grass. He says in verse 17, because you've just been grasping for wind. You're grasping for things that don't matter. You're grasping for the temporary. Given this guy's... This guy's summary of, of what he's been pursuing for ha- this 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 chapter is supposed to start with pursuing happiness. Last week was was meaning. I'm looking for meaning. I'm looking for purpose. And if you had the wrong purpose, we, we got five lessons on how how wasted it was and how useless it was and how futile it was and how uncontrollable it was and all that stuff. Now he's like, all right, if I, if I can't get purpose, maybe I can get some happiness. And he goes through that and. and his pursuit for happiness led to him hating life. You ever been there or seen somebody when they get there? They've tried all the drugs, all the alcohol, all the sex, all the pleasure, all the money, all the stuff. They, they've tried it all. They've accumulated great stuff. Yet they hate life. They're miserable in life. Well, we, we go on cruises all the time and trips all the time, yet their marriage sucks. Yeah, but I can get my kid anything they want, yet their kid's a little brat that needs to be beat with a belt. Right? Think about it. 
doing all this, all this stuff. Yeah, my outcome is I hate life. Verse 18. Look at, look at 18. It, man, it's, I hated all my work that I He's made, he's thinking about all the buildings he built, all the vineyards he made, all the water reserves that he got. He created it all, and then, then something hits him. I got to leave all this stuff to somebody else. I don't know about you, but I'm like, man, I, I want to set my kids up for success. So, like, I'm thinking if, if, I, if, I, if I get enough stuff and get, it, get them set up, I can leave it to them with joy, with smile. Not Solomon, and, and maybe this is why, because if you study 1 Kings chapter 12 and 1 Kings chapter 14, the guy who takes over after Solomon's death, Rehoboam, he turned out to be a fool, an idiot. Scripture, literally, you could break the word down into calling him an idiot. Now, I, I, don't, I don't understand it because I'm thinking, out of a thousand women, surely you could develop one son that you could train up to be great. That's where my head is. I'm just being honest with you guys, right? Thank God you blessed me with two with only one woman. Well, you know what I'm saying? Like, how many could Solomon have had? Yet he has one that he does a really poor job training up, that he leaves behind, that gets his estate, that gets his throne, and Scripture calls him the silliest of fools in some translations. Wow. Wow. Why? Because he was too busy pursuing stuff rather than pursuing something that lasts. There's some people in this room as well that are pursuing stuff and they're neglecting some other stuff. Solomon says that's, that's a waste, man. Understand this. Look at, look at 20 through 21. I told you we'd go through them quick. De- death haunts Solomon not because he's afraid to die. Solomon was never a coward. He was never a chicken. He's despaired that if he's about to die, then it makes everything he's done meaningless. He says, if I'm going to do all this and then just die, how meaningless, meaninglessness was it all? How worthless, how vain. Really, here's what I want you to think about. I think this is so important. I think it's so on time. This preacher, as, as he calls himself at the very beginning of the, of the letter, this writer, this, this teacher, he's hinting at this vital question. Here's the question. Why does it bother you so much, man? You're getting all the ammunition you need right now for an unbeliever. If it all doesn't matter, if there's nothing after death, then why does death bother you so much? Why do you think about it so often? Why are you even concerned with what comes next? Why are you concerned with what you leave behind if it doesn't matter? You see where this preacher's getting at? Oh, he's getting it, man. It's going to take him ten more chapters to get there, but but the, 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 the pump is getting primed up. Every thought of an eternal meaning to life, a wish, a fantasy, all this stuff, why does that cause discontent in almost everybody? Wow. Think about it. He's saying, why, why, why does this cause any, why, why does this stir up anything inside of you if it doesn't matter? He's calling your bluff as an unbeliever. See, Solomon, is, as foolish as he was and as much as he messed up, I would never venture to say that Solomon was ever an unbeliever. He's just saying that, that if it's this and if it's that, let, let's figure out where real meaning and happiness comes from. And I'm, I'm, I'm foolish enough, i got enough resources to be able to try it all out. This bitter reaction gives him the, the, the ability to, to stand up, to weigh it all out. To, to, maybe you could call it divine dis, discontentment. 
divine discontentment. Maybe that's, maybe that's a good phrase. Divine discontentment. That's when you're discontented. I think that's a word. It's when you're discontented and everything you've been trying to pursue and it's divinely given to you as a blessing from God to let you know that there's something more you should keep searching for. Divine discontentment. Look at what he says next week, chapter 3, verse 11. He has made everything appropriate in its time. But he's also put eternity in their hearts. But no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. That's an honest verse, is it not? Look at what he's saying. What a wise guy. He's made everything appropriate in his time. Solomon's saying, as he's writing this journal, he's saying, God, 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 God made it appropriate for me to go through all this stuff for a certain time, for a certain lesson, for a certain outcome. He has also put eternity in my heart. I've got some weird, I'm not afraid of death, but I've got some weird uneasiness about what comes next. I've got some, some weird, what did we say last week? You ask people a bunch, of, you know, a bunch of questions, favorite color, favorite team, whatever. Notice how quick they'll fire them off. Then ask them what happens the minute you die. Even your greatest believers will pause for that second. The, the, the importance is not the answer of each of the questions. The importance is the time that pause, that thinking. Why? Because it matters. Because it matters so much because it's so big. And Solomon says he's also put this eternity in your heart that it makes you pause for it. But no one can discover. <laughs> There's somebody who's got to have a lot of faith covering his feet the other night. No one can discover what God's doing from the beginning to the end. Even Solomon, is as unhappy as he is with his science experiments right now, he sits back and he says, I'm also wise enough to know that as wise as I am, I'm wiser than anybody else on earth right now, and I still can't figure out what God's doing from beginning to end. God is still bigger and more powerful and has more purpose and meaning than I can accumulate in my day. Now Solomon, right? He's called eternity into the hearts and the minds of man. Look at verse 25 again. We looked at it already. Because who can eat, who can enjoy life apart, apart from who? Him. Who's the him? So Solomon's not saying, and don't leave here this morning. And sometimes us church people, we'll leave with this little mighty holy attitude, right? Solomon's not writing like Christians are the only people that can be happy. He's not. He's saying, I pursued happiness and all this stuff. They, 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 they make it but it's not lasting for eternity. It's this side of heaven and only this side of heaven, and it doesn't have anything to do with eternity. Nothing to do with the kingdom. We said last week from a quote that every man, every human being, every woman has this, this God-shaped hole in their heart because without God filling it, there's this, this gnawing, this nagging, this realization that something's missing. Something's missing. Let me, let me ask you this. If, if nothing else, for this morning, what kind of gnawing and nagging feeling do you have after every successful thing that you do? Because I would venture to say that if there's this gnawing, nagging feeling after successful things, that's God telling you that maybe that was for your purpose and not his. That's God saying maybe you were pursuing with the wrong motive. What you been chasing after? Solomon's man enough to admit what he chased after. 
You know, he don't blame nobody else. He don't say it's somebody else's fault. He, you know, if he was giving this testimony, there would be no poor, poor, pitiful me. Look at how everybody treated me. If he's giving his testimony, it's straight up honest. I thought I could pursue this stuff. I thought it would bring pleasure. I thought laughter would do it, so I laughed a lot. I thought alcohol would do it, so I drink a lot. I thought women would do it, so I did the other thing a lot. I thought something else would do it, so I pursued everything that my eyes could see desirable. I tried it. I checked it out. I was a successful boss. I built a lot of houses. I built a lot of stuff. I made a lot of money. I accumulated so much money that it, that it became like rocks to everybody in my city. I did it all. I chased after everything, and then I realized chasing after it was like chasing after What have you been chasing after that's like chasing the wind? Aren't you, aren't you sick of chasing after something that ain't, it ain't delivering? Aren't you sick of like getting to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and, and, and always having to just try to one-up it next time? Solomon in his wisdom, he says, you can keep on trying to one-up it, one-up it, one-up it, and you'll be one-upping it until the day you die and realize that it had no that it was, it was like a vapor. It was like some fog in the morning. It was there, but all it did was, was cloud, cloud your vision from what was in front of you. You guys pray with me. Father God, we thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We, we thank you for your divine inspiration, Lord, in the heart and the mind of Solomon. God, I thank you for the words that were written down <laughs> a long time ago, Lord God, but still apply to us directly. Lord, I pray right now, as we sit quietly, Lord, as we hear from you, Lord, as we get ready to, to worship you, I pray, Lord God, that you come in and speak to our mind and heart, Lord God. God, remind us of what we've been chasing. That's the wrong thing to pursue. God, open our eyes to see that if we're trying to make ourselves happy and make ourselves have meaning and make ourselves have purpose, without you, then it's a waste. God, help us to realize it today so that we don't waste no more time. We've wasted enough. In your great name we pray. Amen.